welcome to The New World. I'm your host, Muskan Sidnani, and today we have Lisa David Olson. Could you introduce yourself? Hello, Muskan. Thank you for having me on. I am Lisa David Olson in the USA in Minnesota. Thank you so much. We're very happy to have you here. So uh, my first question to you will be, how did you get through your traumatic childhood considering you were going through such a hard time even as a child? And how did you manage to look at the brighter things of life? Yes, I did grow up in a traumatic childhood home where my mother was an alcoholic who would Mm -hmm. physically abuse us. So that's the backstory. And my siblings and I would try and cheer each other up after maybe one of those rough nights. And so humor became a great escape. It was a way to Mm -hmm. cheer each other up and get through a tough time. And sometimes, if sometimes you could get mom to laugh and then that kind of calmed a moment and kind of made it less serious. So humor became something that I was addicted to because of the outcome of the feeling of it, the levity of it. And later I learned the health benefits of humor and how it connects people who are even strangers. So as you know, like many people have different coping mechanisms, like some people have writing, some people have singing, some people, you know, have different coping mechanisms. So why did you specifically just choose humor apart from, you know, the health benefits and all along those lines? I was influenced by a show when I was growing up and it was called The Carol Burnett Show and it was sketch comedy, some improvisation and a lot of singing. And mm-hmm. I would pretend I was there. I would pretend that she was my mom. And so then comedy became quite attractive to me as an escape. And once I got hooked on that, it's what I craved. It's what I went to. Like some people are gamers. And like you said, some people are singers, maybe they're artists. It's that which your soul craves and you you can change over the years. But for me, humor was a constant and I ended up running a comedy troupe for 20 years and performing. So about a previous question, you also have siblings. So um, so if I can ask, where are your siblings right now? Like, did they choose the same path as you, of, you know, being an author or, you know, using humor as a coping mechanism and talking to people about it or like... Right. Yeah. There's nothing you cannot ask me because it's in my book anyway. (laughs) So my siblings, I'm number three out of four. My Mm -hmm. older sister um, became physically ill with fibromyalgia and um, she never really did settle on one thing to do. So she does so many things that she's almost scattered with what she does. Um, Mm -hmm. But that feeds her creative soul. But I I know that she was physically um, affected by our childhood. And her escape was getting married at 19 and pregnant before the marriage. Then she took on stepchildren. So by the time she was 23, she had five kids and no washer and no dryer. That was her choice. (laughs) My older brother, who was second in line, he ended up moving away and he married and had two kids and he's still married today and he's in California. And then the one after me, the younger brother, he... Um, definitely suffers mental issues. He's um, probably bipolar and I've tried to reach out and help him. So I'm only in touch with one brother. You have to have boundaries. And once you're probably not your age, but once you're older, you do understand that family doesn't mean that they can just be at you all the time. You have to choose who you let in your space. Yeah. So you said that, um, you know, your sister went, Nick, you know, is, um, is a mother of five children at 23. And so is your brother is in California and stuff. So are you like supportive of your siblings choices? Yeah, you know, that's, 
a really deep question. That's a great question because when you say supportive, what happened was I was left where both my parents are and through the trauma I went through with my mother, we would get along and do things together and laugh. And then all of a sudden she would be drinking and I didn't want that around my, I have two sons and I didn't want that around my sons. So I chose, you get protective when you're a parent. And so I chose to distance myself from her as well. But then we'd have this back and forth times that we would be in touch. I think I had some resentment that my siblings could move away and I had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But then as I, when I wrote my book, it's about choices, not excuses. I guess I chose to deal with it. So I'm yeah. one of those, I was the enabler, you know, the third kid out of four. You're kind of that mm-hmm. in between. Is everybody okay? Has everybody got what you need? Mm-hmm. Every family has one. And I ended up with that role. Yeah. So as a whole, is your family still close? And do you feel close to like people in your family individually? Not at all. No, I'm, I was much closer to my comedy troupe because we would meet on the regular and there was trust there with comedy and working together. There's trust. Like if you and I were in a scene, you would trust me to make you look good. And you would trust Mm -hmm. me that I'm listening to you and build on what you're saying. And that, that is what we crave as humans. I didn't have that with family. There was just too many layers and tricks and neediness. And Mm -hmm. once I became a mom, it was just, mm -mm, I'm going to do my own thing. So no, I, I'm not close to my dad's in the same city as me and we're not even close. He emailed me today and that was the first time in like four weeks. <laughs> so I, I reach out to him. It goes both ways, but no, I can't say that we're close. Exactly. So do you wish that things were different? Do you wish that you were close to your family? And do you think that if you were closer to your family, that would, that would have made you a different person? So maybe a better or worse person it could go either way. Do you ever think that? The big regret that I have, the what if that everybody will have about their life. What if we lived somewhere else? What if I swam instead of walked everywhere? I mean, yes, we can do that all day. When I was younger and went through all these traumatic experiences, I was very ill and I had mono. I even had, what was it? Pneumonia at the same time. I missed a lot of school. My parents, and I don't want to sound like I'm blaming them, but they didn't make sure that I caught up at school. So I was floundering. Mm-hmm. I left school at 10th grade. And I feel mm-hmm. like what if I had a normalish family where there wasn't the screaming in the night or being pulled out of my bed to clean out the garbage can at three in the morning? What if I had that kind of family that said school is highly important and it wasn't, not to them. So yeah. I'm, I'm 55 now and I think if it were nowadays, teachers noticed this stuff. And that's what happened over Zoom and having classes over Zoom. Teachers mm-hmm. were craving that they knew some of these kids needed them to make sure they were eating, to make sure they were clean. There's more than just schooling going on. Back then it wasn't that way. You didn't get into people's business. Yeah. So that made me the kind of mom that made sure my kids were engaged with school and stayed caught up because I constantly struggled with that. So now that you're a mother, uh, do you and your sons like have an open conversation about your past and what you what happened to you and and what, is, what exactly you tell them? Yes, when they were younger, they I I feel like they were around eight and ten, and I did have an open discussion. We've always been very very like that. We we call ourselves a three pack and we we have matching tattoos. It's it's kind of crazy. They're 23 and 25 now. When they were younger, we didn't get tattoos then. When they were like eight and 10, I had an open discussion about alcoholism on my side of the family. I didn't tell them all the details about my mom until they were older because I didn't want them 
feeling sad for me. I didn't want to be a victim and because I'm not, but I did want them to know about alcohol, alcoholism in their families on both their dad's side and my side. And I wanted that in their heads from the get go because kids can drink early, early on. And I wanted them to know that, that there is going to be something in their body that's going, that they're going to have to learn to deal with. So just another personal question I want to ask, you know, because you go through so much like, like so much trauma in your childhood, you actually like, because those create some like trust issues or commitment issues or abandonment issues, which you just create, you can't help it. So how did you like get past them in romantic relationships specifically? Well, I'm on my third husband, if that means anything, <laughs> but I'm friends with the first two. I had two sons with my first husband. Then I was married a second time and we didn't have kids together and we're still friends. But this, my third and final husband is, um, we've known each other for 30 years. I used to work at his music company doing DJs stuff. And so we knew each other's kids. And then in the last 10 ish years, I got to help raise the, his sons as well. So together we have our five sons. I think for me, a huge issue is trust. And if I think you're lying at all, or I think you're snowing me, or I think you're not exactly being real with me, I don't have time for that. And it's not a good way to be. So I work with that. I do have, I do have a therapist. I do that on the regular. And I recommend that for people. You can't fix yourself. I have anxiety. I have fight or flight issues. If you're familiar with that, that mm -hmm. if you can't handle something, you're out of there. If you've ever had that feeling, you're in a store and all of a sudden you're like, I got to get out of here, you know, yeah. or, or you're, in, you're talking to somebody and you're just overwhelmed. So you have to learn different ways to deal with that. You know, deep breathing, take yourself out of it. Always exercise on the regular to keep your, your body in shape and keep your adrenaline going. So, uh, after all that you've been through now, what at this point of time, what does family mean to you? Family is that person you would call if you felt down and just needed to vent. And family is the person that you could sit with your back to and not worry about what they're doing back there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what it is to me. Trust. It's, it's trust and who really knows me and hears me. I've, I have a podcast and I've met such great people on there. And I have a couple of like best friends that I've never met in person. And I told one, one of my friends, I'm, I can't believe I met you. And I have such trust for him. And we talk all the time. He has a wife and I, and I have a husband and it's nothing like that, but yeah. to just have that person reach out and go, how was your day today? And really mean it. You I know, think it depends on someone who gets you genuinely and like wants to get you and wants to connect with you at the end of the day. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, after all that you've been through, like in the past, how did you decide that I will not be a victim, as you said, and I will not let this dictate my life? I think being 17 and on my own, I had no car and I was working in a hotel cleaning rooms and I was very broke. I knew that I wasn't going to wait for somebody. I was going to make mm -hmm. things happen. So I've always been a hard worker and um once I realized that I didn't need a bunch of initials after my name to write my book, that was a huge turning point for me. I, anybody can write a book and I think everybody has a book in them. And that's what I'm here to do is to encourage other people to not limit yourself, to know that you're on this spinning rock, whatever you believe happens after, all we know is right now, this moment right here. Now it's this moment, that's all we really know. So you should do the things, you should try the stuff, and you should explore. 
and be brave about it. No, definitely. So no matter like uh, if our parents are toxic or good or if you had a normal childhood or a bad childhood, they shape you in some way. So personally, mm-hmm. how do you think that your childhood and your parents shaped you into who you are today? Uh, I would say my father's a great storyteller and he has a great way of pausing, whether it be in speech or in life. You should sleep on it. Don't make big decisions. Take a break. I don't have that. I'm always going. I'm zoom, zoom. I'm a hummingbird, but, <laughs> but I know what I should do. And mother um, definitely was a performer and encouraged me to perform, even though, we, like I say, we were back and forth, but she she believed in me. She knew I was funny and she believed in my stage presence. So she was one of my first people to get me to be brave enough to, to grab the stage and not be afraid. So do you think that everyone's childhood just does affect them in some way or the other? Absolutely. Think about a lunch that you've had that didn't sit with you well, and then it affects your day. You know, now you, you take that into parenting and growing up in, in a bigger course, of course, that affects you. And the main thing I would tell somebody who's younger is, be the parent that allows the kid to fall and figure out their way to get up. And I don't mean physically wipe out, but I mean, if they're sad, let them figure it out and and be there if they need you, but you don't have to fix everything. That's what I would tell you if you're going to ever be a parent. You don't have to fix everything, but be there when they want you to. That's That's a huge thing. So as a parent, did you ever feel like you weren't doing enough or you were doing too much? Like while you're kids were still like 17 16 yes i stayed married too long the second time i wasn't happy in that marriage we were friends but it it wasn't husband wife to me and i stayed in that too long because i thought maybe i would lose my house i needed his money as well as mine and that i regret because they didn't feel close to him as a stepdad they weren't close and during that time i think i could have done better just on my own with them but money scared me And so that's a regret for me. But I know that they had a happy childhood and they could sleep in the night. And as simple as that sounds, I still have trouble in the night. Night fright is not okay. And my children never had to worry in the night. About your marriages, like, you know, you've been through three and I think third one is usually the charm. So in the middle, <laughs> did you ever feel like that maybe I'm never going to find love and maybe I'm not meant to be with anyone because of the amount of trauma I've been through because no one can ha- emotionally handle me? I never did have that feeling. I I know that before I was married, I definitely craved a partner because I think I put that with that I had to have somebody always. So the weird thing is I've never ever lived alone. And that's kind of weird. So I I don't know I don't know what that's like to live alone. So now that my kids have moved out and it's just me and my husband, I do have moments of being alone and that's all new to me. but I've still never fully lived alone. And I'm okay with that. I, I like having my husband around. <laughs> so that is odd. And I, I don't have issues that way, but but if if somebody's in my circle, they're in my circle. Because like I said, if, if I can't trust them and I don't believe what they're doing or I, I don't align with their values, then I don't, I don't give up my time. So how much, like, how did you find it okay to open up to, you know, all your like husbands about your, you know, childhood and about your trauma? And how did, how much time did it take you to open up to them essentially? Well, my first husband was around when my mom was still around. And so he knew it all as well. And mm-hmm. so he, he knew everything that was going on. And I, I don't, 
I would say if I was dating somebody, I wouldn't have just shared it because it's, it's not something you can be proud of. It's almost embarrassing that you had that family where the police would come over or something like that. But yeah, it's, it's not a bad, it's not hard for me to talk about it. And, and so if I got close to somebody, I, I did let them know, but I think that was after I knew that it was a safe conversation to have. So just um, adding on to the thing we talked about in the starting, as a third child, did you ever try to bring your family together and have an open discussion of why you guys turned out the way you turned out and why you aren't close anymore? I did. Um, no one has asked me that before. Holy cow. Uh, she, I did with my mom when we were in a good place and she was sober by that time because she had an episode where she almost died. And I saved her life because when I showed up at her apartment, she had not been eating and she had fallen on the floor and we were the same size and I couldn't get her up. And in that moment, I decided to call an ambulance, not knowing if I was going to have to pay for it. And I had two kids and I did call an ambulance and she nearly died. And so that's when she got sober because she was in the hospital. It's not like you can get a beer. So she never drank again after that. And when that cleared after a couple of years, I said to her, what, what do you think of how we grew up? And she totally regretted it. She apologized for it. She said she wished she could have done better. And I know that her parents drank. So it's just, that's why I wanted to make sure my kids knew. So we did have that discussion. That was, that's a good thing to have, um, to kind of, you'll never have closure. I don't believe in closure. What is closure? It's just, it's, it's not, you can't change it by knowing, but having that conversation that if that person was gone, you couldn't have it is pretty paramount with my father. I never understood that he wanted four kids. And he told me one day he would have had eight kids if he could have. And I never knew that. And I was in my forties when he told me that he's like, no, I loved having kids. Honestly, he was not around much. So I never understood that he was always at work or in his den, which now you'd call it the man cave. I just, he never stopped the things that were happening. He never hurt us, but he didn't stop it. So I had to learn that as I wrote my book. That's when that was the light bulb that went off. It was when a, a TV person, journalist was asking me, so where was your father? And I'm like, oh, he was there. And it just hit me. Holy crap. He was there. So after that conversation with your mom, do you think you felt at some kind of peace that at least even she realizes that, you know, we went through a lot and at least she realizes that she needs to apologize to all of us. Like, did you feel at peace with that or just... I did. I did feel that way. I felt um, it didn't make up for it, but the acknowledgement alone was wonderful because there was a time she wouldn't have, and there was a time she would have deflected. Oh, well, you know, who's, who's an alcoholic, you know, that Nancy down the street, you know, and just deflect, deflect. That's the way I grew up. But you're right. In that moment, she owned it. She said it wasn't what she would do again, but now it's done. And that was a huge thing. So that's exactly, don't you think that piece to an extent was some closure for you? Even yes. Though you say you don't believe in closure. Technically, isn't that piece technically closure? Yes, that's a very good point. You're right. Because for someone to own it and not deflect it, that is a big dang deal. Yeah, you're right. Um. So just another thing, as as like what the knowledge you have today and all everything that, you know, you've learned in this journey, what would you tell your younger self? Oh, I love that question. I would tell my younger self that you are smart and you will matter and you will help people and 
that you'll be a really awesome and embarrassing mom who loves pranks. That's what I would tell my younger self. Like just following up to the question, like with your uh, that you confronted your mom, you talked to her about it. Have you ever tried to do that with your siblings? Again, being the third child, you have that tendency to people please. So, like, have you ever tried that with your siblings? Also, that you know, I think we shouldn't be like how they were, and I think we should be closer as a family or something along those lines. Yeah, I never craved it. Um, my one brother that I am close to is so hit and miss. I just sent him a text two days ago. I, I like to do this random, random hug is what I'll write. Or I write, ha, made you think about me just because you're reading my text. And this time again, he hasn't answered me. And it's just, sometimes I just think, why bother then? You know, <laughs> if you feel one-sided that you're the one always, always trying, it just doesn't, mm -hmm. I just don't get it. So I don't put that much energy into it. I, I don't feel that family has to be together. And, and that might be different where you live and the way you grew up, but it's, I, I think I tried as a kid and it just, like I say, I reached out to my younger brother and tried to help him with his mental issues. And we did join in to have the funeral from my mom, even though I wasn't talking to her at the time she passed, you know, I, I put on a face. I, I was my, in my best acting mode when I acted like I wasn't afraid of him or that I was a friend of his. And he, he said, now we're together again. Right. And I was like, Oh yeah, no, I lied because I fear him. He really is a, a dangerous person and I won't have that around my house or my kids. So no, I don't, I don't crave to have everybody in the same room. <laughs> So when your like mom passed away, did you wish that you like ended terms with her differently? Like you ended on different terms with her or you, you know, your last words to her were something that actually like were meaningful or did it just be like, it's okay. Yeah. I, I think we all have that. We want that movie ending. Um, I did see her in the hospital. She ended up with the breathing tube down her throat, which she didn't want. And I got it in a, a living will that you write out and she never wanted to be on assisted machines. And I did have to fight my brother for that. And I was her voice in the end, even though we weren't speaking as ironic as that is, I did go see her. And, um, I knew from her eyes cause she couldn't speak. I knew from her eyes that she knew who I was and she like smiled and, and she kind of looked curious like this. I said, Oh, my glasses, they're new. And she just went like, like she didn't like them. And that's what I remember. And my youngest son would visit for the few days she was kind of drifting away and he would make sure she was covered and he would make sure there was gentle music in the room. And he was very hospice about it all. And he was only like 19. So it was very, uh, it was a touching journey. And, but trying to deal with my brother being there too was hard. So it was, it, it was exhausting. But I think in the end, I feel like we, you know, the eye contact that, that was something she knew I was there. Yeah. So until the end, did you have any expectations from your mom specifically? You mean at the end of her life or what? Yeah, at the end of her life. Like till the end, did you have, did you still hold any expectations? No, I assumed, I assumed it was going to cost me financially to have her buried or whatever. And mm -hmm. my brother out of his guilt, because he did get money from her up until the end, because um, he never worked. Like I said, he had mental, has mental issues, mm -hmm. which is like bipolar, not. And so he could never hold a job. He would always tell people off. So he was getting money from her. And so I assumed I would be stuck with it because I usually am. And he ordered a casket and a choir and all these things. And when I talked to him, I finally said, dude, 
we're going to do cremation and we are going to not have a choir. It turned out we had besides family, maybe eight people that came. Mm -hmm. So the people who were singing would have outnumbered the people at the service. Mom just didn't keep friends at the end, you know? So mm -hmm. it, I didn't have expectations, but I also didn't want to go in the hole financially. Like I said, I was raising kids. So, um, nobody wants to end up going into debt to bury the parent they weren't even in touch with, yeah. but it, it turned out that there was some money there and we didn't end up paying for it. But I just had to kind of get my brother down off the guilt train. He, he thought he owed her all this stuff. I'm like, she's not going to see it. <laughs> and I don't mean it disrespectfully, mm -hmm. but she would probably say, don't spend all that. Just get together. And we did, we got together and had a meal. So have you, so since you like told that your dad was really around and like usually he was just at work or something along those lines, have you ever talked to him about what you went through as a child? Yes. And when my book came out, that's a memoir and talks about how humor saved my life. I would not give anyone a book until I could give it to my dad because, you know, I'm a dropout and I did go back to school and get my degree, my high school degree, but I'm a dropout and I've been married and divorced and all these things. And I'm proud of myself. I wrote a book and the proceeds are helping other kids and I'm proud. So I wanted dad to have the first copy and he glanced at it and he saw some of the some of the things it had and he he says why why would you do this and i just i remember i was sitting on the ground at his feet because he was in his chair in the living room and he goes why would you tell all the stories that's in the past he did that with his hand that's in the past i was like holy cow i just i didn't give my books out to anyone thinking he was going to go i am proud of you didn't happen so do stuff for yourself <laughs> the book was for myself but the whole thing of giving daddy the first copy was like just a blow to my gut. I mean, obviously we are who we are because of where we came from and our past matters and it's who we are. And that's what I told him about the book. I said, those are my stories. I'm not going to hide them. It's, it's why I am who I am today. So how did you get past that judgment considering that you have like shared a lot of your stories in this book? Did you ever think that there was going to be judgment? And if there was, how did you get past it? How did you get over that? Oh, I don't think I should be judged over this. Yes. I only being in, you know, through the 10th grade, I was very afraid to put that in the, out in the book. And I finally thought, whatever. <laughs> I just was like, it's, it's so funny that once I did write it, it, it didn't matter and this path of mine and what's interesting is what you think matters to others they don't care they're so wrapped up into their own worries and their own stories that thinking about you and your stuff that's all that's all on you so <laughs> get out of your own head long enough to just do the stuff you want to do and stop worrying and you know seek the things that that make your heart go fast and seek the things that make you sweat in the weird places and and find the fun things and connect with the people that, that you should, that, that you're curious about, learn from other people because holding back you, that could be a regret when you're older. So we know that, you know, you've written a book, at least like our team knows that, but for the listeners, can you just give like a little details of some summary or details of your book? Yes. It's called laughs on Rye and Rye is spelled W R Y and it's an improviser's memoir. And it's living a life of choices, not excuses. And a portion of the proceeds goes to a family and children's center to help kids that their families might need intervention and some help. And it talks about my ups and downs. There's 
you might hear about how I was hit with the belt because I came home late. But then also another story is going to be about pranks. I adore pranks. I love scaring people. I just did it again today. And it's it's just something that I love to do is play with people and surprise people. Mm -hmm. And my podcast is Stranger Connections. And I have a comedy group on Facebook that's just people sharing memes. And it's called Counterclockwise. And mm -hmm. in like four and a half months, I got up to 3,000 members. People want to laugh. We want to laugh. I think that's how people connect, essentially, is if you can make me laugh, then I already like you as a person. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So just out of personal interest, you said you pulled a prank today. Can we get a brief of what it was and how it turned out? Yes. Um, there was a sergeant talking to the chief, and his back mm -hmm. was to me. And I have a spray bottle of water in a separate room. And it's marked water. I know it's not anything, no chemicals. We have everything clearly marked. And I walked up behind him. And of course, some places are going without masks now, but we're still very on high alert. If somebody coughs, you kind of freak out. So I came up behind him and right as I sprayed the water on his neck, I made a sneezing sound. So it is shoo, with the spray on his neck and imagine the feeling how nasty. <laughs> and he turns and I held up the water bottle and he just folded his arms and looked at me. He goes, you want to play with me? I can get some spiders. And I was like, I ran, I physically ran away. I was like, no, 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 no. He knows my weakness. Never let someone know your weakness. <laughs> okay. So now our last and final question is a very classic. Um, what is an advice you would want to give people who have bad family history or relations? Yeah. I think live your life as if this day might, might be it and be bold and be brave. And my advice is to dare yourself daily. Whether that means you put on shoes and make it to the mailbox, whether that means you schedule the appointment to jump out of an airplane with a parachute or call an old friend and apologize for something or call uh, an elder that you haven't spoken to, dare yourself daily, whether that means trying a new art, trying a new food, trying a cartwheel, do something that makes you say, I did that. That was me. Nobody could do that but me. Yeah. Okay, so thank you so much for coming to our show. And this is Welcome to the New World. And we hope you tune in for the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.